0: Welcome to the Activist Insight podcast, which takes you through Insightia's two magazines, Activist Insight Monthly and Proxy Monthly. I'm Kieran Paul, and as usual, I am joined by the editors of each publication, Jason Booth and Rebecca Sherritt. Getting into the two magazines, November's feature article in Activist Insight Monthly takes a look at the use of Special Purpose Acquisition Companies, or SPACs, by activists to make acquisitions, as well as them becoming targets for activists, both long and short. Plus, elsewhere in the issue, we profile Kimmeridge Energy, explore Blackwell Capital's campaign at Monmouth Real Estate Investment, as well as Viceroy Research shorting German real estate Adler Group. And why, with activist interest in the insurance sector picking up, conglomerate Allegheny looks increasingly vulnerable to activism. Whereas November's Proxy Monthly sees investors debate whether Scope 3 emissions reporting should form part of mandatory climate-related disclosure. And we hear from Invesco, who examine the growing pressure on boards to feature sufficient diversity. And of course, we give you the very latest voting news. We'll hear from Rebecca later in Proxy Corner. But first, Jason. Jason, why have SPACs become so popular with activists recently?
1: Well, so far, they appear to be a little more than a hobby with activists. They're a good way to get a stake in a company and bring it to market. But what we're really going to see is activists taking shots at SPACs down the line. You know, when these companies go public, they often have less scrutiny than you might get through a traditional IPO. And what we've been hearing that maybe in 18 months or two years from now, quite a few of them that have come public with a good deal of fanfare, are going to run into trouble and then they might find themselves coming under the, the scrutiny of activists who will be questioning their performance.
0: Do you think SPACs are reducing the amount of traditional activism by these firms?
1: Well, initially we thought that might be the case, but it really doesn't seem so. What can be said is some of the firms that have been raising SPACs, such as Pershing Square and Third Point, have been less active, but that may not be because they have been raising specs, but simply because they've somewhat changed their investment strategies. But on the other hand, we see Starboard Value, which has raised a spec, and Hudson Executive Capital, which have remained quite active. So, no, I don't think it has reduced activism per se. And, and in fact, as we said earlier, it could well lead to further activism down the line. And that's certainly the case when it comes to short investors. SPACs have been quite popular targets of activist short sellers. We've seen it both with companies in the United States and overseas, and that's a trend we're likely to see more of.
0: Now, Kimmeridge is a private equity firm, so why are we profiling them as an activist?
1: Well, for several reasons. One is they have been quite active. They've had four different campaigns over the last couple of years, and they have been very, very vocal in their demands that the industry needs to improve, both in terms of profitability, in tying executive compensation to performance, and on how to change the industry to meet better ESG standards. And Kimmeridge has really led the call on that. You know, we, having a chat with them is quite interesting in their approach. They point out that in their industry, being a private equity firm as opposed to a straight long activist is a vital ingredient because it's a very volatile industry. It's a risky industry that changes from year to year, depending on the economic environment and their ability to invest directly in equities, uh, long investments or buying companies, buying their debt or taking these different approaches provides them with a flexibility that is critical for them to prosper in a very risky sector. So they are, in a sense, the quintessential energy activist currently. I mean, we talk a lot about Carl Icahn, for example, who's been very active in energy over the years, but it's really been a sideline for him. It's not something he's specialized in. And some may argue that's why he hasn't been terribly successful in the sector, because he comes in as an outsider, whereas Kimmeridge has always been invested in energy and their leading executives come out of the industry itself.
0: Now we'll touch on Activist Insight Online's latest in-depth article that looked at how companies targeted by activist investors tend to have lower shareholder support for their directors according to research performed by Activist Insight Vulnerability. The average minimum vote for directors at the annual meeting prior to an activist demand is 87.1% more than two percentage points lower than the average minimum vote for directors at all U.S. companies. So Jason, can you tell us more about this?
1: Well, yes, it would seem fairly obvious that companies that have low shareholder support will be more likely targets of activists. You know, and traditionally that hasn't always been the case. Activists have looked for many other reasons, but the difference now is quite striking. You see, in 2020, the difference between companies that weren't targeted and those that were targeted was the largest we have on record. There may be several reasons for that, but one of them is simply because, with the market having been so strong over the years, so it's hard to find companies that are really, truly undervalued. And uh, the fact that COVID 19 has shaken up the economy, so it's hard to differentiate between what is bad performance financially and simply suffering from disruption from COVID, activists have to find another reason or a very much more specific reason to go after companies. And that is low shareholder support. When a company sees a sharp drop in shareholders supporting particularly directors, that's going to be a red flag that something is amiss. It requires further looking into. And when it comes to a proxy fight, it really gives an activist an idea of which directors they should be targeting. It shows which investors they should be speaking to because you you can usually find out which investors voted against a particular director, including through our own service, Proxy Insight Online, which shows the level of shareholder support for each director at public companies and shows which investors voted against them and often shows the reasons why. So that really gives activists a telltale sign of, of where to be looking for support as they go after particular companies. A good example is Alanco, The animal healthcare company marked as vulnerable in our Activist Insight vulnerability report several months ago in that we noted that three directors received around 40% of votes cast against re-election in 2020. So they only received 60% support, which is very low. And so it wasn't a surprise that Sachem Head and Starboard Value later targeted the company with board requests.
0: Thank you, Jason. And you can find all of our in depth articles under the news tab on Activist Insight Online. I'm Kai Liegefeld, co chair and partner in Sidley Austin's Shoulder Actors and Corporate Defense Practice. And you can read the Proxy
2: Annual Voting Review 2021 for free now.
0: And now it's time for Proxy Corner. Hello, Rebecca. Hi, Kevin. Now, firstly, the proxy annual voting review is all out, all shiny. You must be pleased with it.
2: Definitely. It's great to get the report published and see all our hard work bear fruit. And looking forward to the next one.
0: Well, that's for next year. But right now, in November's magazine, you discuss Scope 3 emissions. Why is there so much debate surrounding whether they should form part of these mandatory climate-related disclosures?
2: Well, Scope 3 emissions are notably different to scope one and two emissions, and because of this, they're especially difficult for issuers to measure and report on. Scope one emissions are direct emissions from a company's owned or controlled sources, while scope two emissions relate to indirect emissions generated by a company's purchased electricity, steam, or heating. Scope three emissions are different in that they relate to indirect emissions derived from a company's value chain, primarily through customer use, Scope 3 emissions generally represent the majority of an organization's total greenhouse gas emissions. So it's understandable that there is a large demand among investors for disclosure of this kind, what with it being the largest contributor to climate change. But, as I mentioned earlier, Scope 3 emissions are, by nature, really difficult to report. There's no comprehensive solution that's been developed yet that can accurately calculate Scope 3 emissions. Many companies that currently do try to provide this sort of disclosure admit that much of their reporting often uses estimations. In a study by the Boston Consulting Group, which spoke to more than 1,200 organisations, only 9% claimed that they can measure all their emissions comprehensively, and overall respondents estimated a between 30 to 40% average error rate in their emissions measurements. Because of this, there's much debate around disclosure of this kind and whether it should be mandatory. While investors want Scope 3 emissions reporting to be mandatory, Many argue that this simply isn't feasible and won't be until technology is advanced in a way that is able to provide this data accurately.
0: And as quite common with these things, views among investors are quite divided.
2: Yeah, they certainly are. In response to the SEC's request for comment on climate-related disclosure, which was issued back in March, many investors sent comment letters to the US regulator showing their thoughts on Scope 3 emissions reporting, and the opinions were pretty mixed. The New York State Comptroller and as you So were among investors to support mandatory reporting of Scope 3 emissions, suggesting such disclosure is integral to give investors insight into a company's complete susceptibility to climate risk and in understanding whether a company's transition plan is sufficiently strong. In contrast, BlackRock and State Street were among the investors to suggest Scope 3 emissions reporting would still be premature and instead requires a more gradual, phased approach. Once Scope 3 emissions reporting is more feasible, BlackRock was among the investors to recommend that reporting of this kind be mandatory just for specific sectors, such as the oil and gas or finance industries, and then gradually cover more sectors considered especially vulnerable to climate risk over time. It was very interesting to explore the different comment letters to the SEC that different investors sent. Even EOS at Federated Hermes Which I would say has quite a good reputation of being an especially devout advocate on the subject of climate change, warned the SEC that overly prescriptive and quantitative disclosure rules related to Scope 3 reporting could be counterproductive, preventing issuers from providing investors with crucial information relating to the wider context of their steps to mitigate climate risk. ISS's recent climate survey also reflected this divide. Approximately 54% of investors that responded to the survey said they want to see Scope 3 emissions reporting become mandatory, or 48% wanted just Scope 1 and 2 emissions reporting. So it's a real mixed bag, and debate's still ongoing. And in
0: the magazine, you also speak with Invesco about board refreshment and diversity.
2: Yeah, we're very happy to get the chance to speak to Zauj Fattage, Invesco's Global Proxy Governance and Voting Manager. When asked what corporate governance reforms she would like to see implemented, she identified a need to amend the board evaluation process. Given heightened expectations among investors on board diversity and climate-related risks and opportunities, Saug said that boards would benefit from enhancing disclosure of directors' competencies and experiences. So investors have confidence that companies are capable in dealing with the growing number of ESG issues that are now forming key parts of their engagements with investors. And this is certainly becoming a growing topic of conversation When I asked Alliance Bernstein's responsible investment team a similar question back in our September edition, they similarly mentioned a need for boards to appoint a director that is explicitly identified as the one responsible for managing climate-related risks. So perhaps director competencies relating to ESG will form a larger part of investor engagements in the coming season.
0: Lastly, Rebecca, are there any trends emerging ahead of the coming proxy season?
2: Definitely. It's interesting to see that shareholder proposals asking companies to conduct racial equity audits seem to be gaining traction ahead of the 2022 proxy season. Shareholders have already filed proposals at Oracle, Tyson Foods and Coca-Cola, asking these companies to conduct third-party investigations into how their operations may impact non-white stakeholders and communities of colour. Last season, these proposals were primarily filed by SOC Investment Group and the Service Employees International Union, at major U.S. banks and financial institutions. But this season, it appears that a wider range of investors have adopted this method to hold companies accountable at a variety of sectors. Citigroup also recently committed to conducting a racial equity audit of its own operations, six months after a proposal seeking an audit of this kind, won 38% support at the U.S. bank's 2021 shareholder meeting. Citigroup now joins both BlackRock and Morgan Stanley in agreeing to conduct racial equity audits of their operations. So it'll be really interesting to see if more companies that face proposals of this kind in the 2021 proxy season will come forward in time and agree to conduct similar audits.
0: Thanks, Rebecca, and we look forward to reading the issue. That's it for today's episode make sure you subscribe to each magazine by emailing subscriptions at And remember as well that Proxy Monthly is free of charge for everybody, just like our special reports. And as mentioned, the latest of those was our Proxy Voting Annual Review 2021. Plus, join the conversation by using the hashtag activistinsightpodcast on Twitter. And if you want something discussed on a future episode, simply email press at insightia.com. As always, I'll ask if you can please rate and review the podcast on whichever platform you are using, as it really does help others access our reporting. I'm Kieran Paul. Thank you for listening, and I'll see you soon.